0: Welcome to On Air in the Cloud, the podcast where we interview people working with technology in interesting ways. This is episode number four and you're joined by Gregor Asotti, Matt Boyd and Keith Aberton. In this episode we're going to speak to Lee Angleston. Lee, welcome to On Air in the Cloud.
1: Please introduce yourself. Sure, yeah, thanks ever so much for having me. Uh, like you said, my name is Lee Angleston. I'm based in Manchester, England. I'm a Three, no, four times now, Microsoft MVP uh, in developer technologies. And most recently, mixed reality, uh, and uh, I'm the developer relations lead uh, at Avenard.
2: Perfect. Uh, welcome. Uh, so, uh, Lee, you mentioned that you're the developer relations lead at Avenard. And um, what does that actually entail? You know, so, so what 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 is a usual week for you?
1: sure yeah it's it's a good question it's it's unusual to have uh like a developer relations function inside a consultancy it's it's more at home in like a product or services company uh which to help developers uh utilize that that product or service um what i do at avenard is i help them understand the mindset of of the technical community so the external technical community uh, and build relationships with them so i didn't start as a developer relations lead. I, I started as a software development manager, my career has been a very technical one from junior developer, middle developer, senior developer, tech lead, development manager, all in the, the Microsoft space, uh, the dotnet um, ecosystem and, and uh, anything really, so uh, websites, mobile apps, all sorts. Um, so I joined there as, as very much as a, as a technical IC in many ways, an individual contributor and, and I found that Avanade was a fantastic place to work, and um, which I found really confusing because not many people have heard of us, <laughs> which which concerned me a little bit, because we, just to give you some idea of the scope, we're 60,000 people around the world in, in something like 20 plus countries. We have like 70 plus Microsoft MVPs. We were formed, I think, 20 years ago by Microsoft and Accenture, who everyone has heard of, yet no one's heard of Avanade. Um, which concerned me a little bit with, with the company's ability to grow and, and attract attract talent and stuff like that. So I put a business case forward and said look there's this thing called developer relations where um, we have people that are embedded in the technical community, ideally already embedded in the technical community, uh, and, and, and work with that technical community um, to find sort of win-win uh, opportunities. So my role at the beginning started with building out the, this, this developer relations strategy coming up with some goals that I thought it could do, including things like uh, inspiring the technical community, um, giving back to the technical community, attracting, uh, done attracting, um, attracting the technical community, building relationships with different partner organizations in the technical community, and also helping internal parts of the business succeed. So those are kind of the pillars of, of the strategy. And I think I've done a, quite a few initiatives off the back of that. And that ranges from uh, sponsoring uh, events and and, uh, running hackathons to forming partnerships with people like uh, Major League Hacking and and the .NET Foundation as well. And all those partnerships kind of help us help the tech community. So, for example, Major League Hacking, they run over 300. uh, They're involved in over 300 hackathons around the world every year. Uh, and what they've done for us is um, we put together a sustainability-themed hackathon challenge, uh, and they've ran that at fifty hackathons all around the world. Now, that's, I couldn't do that personally, um, but that's ticked loads of boxes. That's it's shown it's allowed us to give back to the technical community because we're obviously providing prizes. Um, we're we're pushing um, this really important agenda of sustainability. We want the next generation of talent to be really thinking about how can technology solve some of the big problems we're seeing in sustainability. Um, it's getting Avanade's name out there, which is a bit of like a more of a side effect than anything else. And um, some of those people that has then gone to, to um, make applications to to, to Avanade. So it, there's the sort of relationships I'm trying to build and it's very much win-win for the technical community and the business. Um, so yeah, that's that's the kind of thing that we're doing. I think more corporates should really have more of this. They often name different things. So I've seen big corporates with like um, a community management or community manager uh, function, um, corporate citizenship sometimes called as well. Um, but yeah, this is this is the, the developer relations function in um, in FNAT that I lead. And it's uh, it's a it's a global role. So whilst I'm based in in the UK and I'm very familiar with the technical uh, community in the UK, I have to lean on my colleagues in the different Regions, so I don't know what the tech community like is in Australia, in in France, in Germany. Um, so I need to lean on those to to help me understand what the tech community is like there. What are the big events? Who are the people to partner with? And how can we give back uh, to those technical communities as well? That answer your question about developer relations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. perfect. Thank you, cool. Lee.
3: Do you do that yourself,
1: or have you got a team? Uh, so at the moment, it's me. It's just me uh it's been very much a i wouldn't say experiment um but a let's see what we can do with developer relations um there was bits of it happening in the business already and plans to do more of it but because i put this business case forward it was it it just happened to be picked up by people like the cto and and the chief people officer and um the cmo as well the chief marketing officer It, it really sort of Caught their attention and thought, wow, well, we've got a Microsoft MVP who's already embedded in the technical community, um, and we can give back to the technical community. Let let's 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 do that. So, not only did they like my business um, case, they they said, right, you you go off and do that now in the community. So, yeah, it's it's very much me. I I operate out of the the open innovation team and the who's in the emerging technology team, which suits me very well because as well as uh, my love of, of developer relations, I also have a love of emerging technologies like AI and um, augmented reality and virtual reality. So I get to, to play around with those and, and use those as part of my tool set to help inspire the tech community as well. So it's it's a it's a really fun place to sit and, and work in the business.
3: Nice, that leads me on nicely to my next question. <laughs> so you often post about augmented reality. Are there any kind of side projects that you're working on? I know you did the health detector and the GitHub contributions graph. Is there anything you're working on right now?
1: So I've always got side projects. My, my problem is I have too many side projects. It's about uh, prioritizing them and, and uh, finding time and, and rainy days to, to work on them as, as side of desk projects or u- usually in, in the evenings. Um, the one that I'm working on right now, which I'm quite excited about is, I've got no better name for it than, other than the face presenter. So it's, it's kind of hard to describe, but I'll give it a go. So iPhones have got this ability in their augmented reality framework to detect faces in the scene. And once it does that, it places that as an anchor and you can place things around that face um, in relation to it. Think about, you can superimpose glasses or a hat, you know, for same sort of same sort of idea. What I want to do is, is combine that with some signal R, so some real-time communication and a web app with some, some images on and I almost have like a slide deck I can go through that's that's stuck to almost the side of my head, so I can advance the slides, I can talk about them, I can throw up any images, and it's it's really interesting because those are not just two D images; they're on like a two D plane in three D space. So I could do anything with that image. I could have it moving around, flowing in, going sh- shrinking. Um, I can throw in a three D model. You know, I can overlay stuff onto maps. So I'm really excited about doing that, uh, not only getting the web app and, and, and SignalR to talk to the the uh, the iOS app, that just, which is the augmented reality client, um, but also using that as a tool to do other presentations, which could be then engaging um, and, and beneficial in that way. So yeah, I'm kind of playing around with that at the moment. So it's like AR face presenter, I guess.
0: That sounds great and I th- I remember a post that you did uh, a while ago where you use using facial gestures to have things pop up and interact There was blinking and other things you did as well and I thought that was fun. It, you know, it's a fun thing to play around with really, really cool.
1: Yeah, this is this is kind of a thread through everything I do this. This is this concept of play and experimentation. You'll, you'll notice this from a lot of a lot of my content um, because I just think it's super important that. Uh, or people that like doing it, uh, experiment and, and play, um, because I think that's one of the best ways of learning. So I, I've I've played and experimented to the extent now that I could knock you up any mobile app, web app, Windows app, cloud app, AI app. Um, that's not because I've spent loads of time in different roles delivering solutions for clients in those. That's just because I've been gone off on my own and experimented with them and played with them um, and I think what it's done is it's, it's given me a really big uh, tool set or you know, um, tool belt to, to approach any any sort of problem. Um, and that's why I kind of like not only attending hackathons, I think I've attended over 20 hackathons in the last few years, um, but also organizing them. It just means if when I turn up to a hackathon and they, they give me a problem brief, like take this data and shows a pattern in it, for example, um, it means I can just lean on all these technologies. Do I use AI and machine learning, or do I u- present it in AI? Uh, sorry, in augmented reality, um, and then how can I present it on the web, you know, or on a mobile app? So, I really do think that it is important to experiment and play if that's the kind of thing you're interested in, uh, and, and hackathons are a really good way of doing that.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. And it's it's kind of similar. I think when I get a new tech stack or a language, often games or something fun is, is the first thing that I look to as well. You know, how can I play with this? You know, almost like Lego blocks mm-hmm. uh, and build something. Um, you recently posted as well about uh, generative AI tools, open AI side project. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about that, please?
1: Sure. So, so that's a really good example of just how you learn through play and experimentation. So I before that, I'd never done anything with, with Gen AI. I've done a bit with machine learning, uh, artificial intelligence, but never done anything with Gen AI. And it, I find it sometimes difficult to cut through all the hype that you see on the web. So you see 99% of people saying how Gen AI is going to take our jobs and how it's going to destroy the world and um, what you don't, I don't think, hear that much from is developers like us saying, "Hey, this is how you actually get started with it. <laughs> this is how you can play around with it." Um, so I, I guess it's kind of part of being a Microsoft MVP uh, is that you play around with it and then you share, you know, what what you've learned uh, and what works and what doesn't work to to lower the um, the barrier to entry for the next person who wants to play with it. And um, I think that that's kind of what I've done. So the, I also like i always think it's important when you're learning something to make it fun um so what i did is i took a use case to learn generative ai and what i said to myself was well could i use generative ai and in particular uh, chat and, and open AI? could i use it to to produce for me a personalized travel itinerary at a particular destination given if i provided with the number of days i have and my interests because not everyone interests are the same right some people want to be on the beach some people hate the beach some people want to go for long walks some people just want to relax um some people like hanging out in cafes some people like museums so um i created just a simple web front end to begin with that allowed pers- a, p- a person to choose uh, a location for some popular destinations uh, like lisbon and paris and rome and, and london and um seattle and stuff like that and then choose the number of days that they were going to go for and then choose some interests that they were interested in so i would choose maybe photography and walking relaxation and culture maybe probably the things i would have chosen and then what that does under the hood it it creates a prompt or just a a sentence which uh, would have been something like give me a list of activities in Paris, you know, that location I selected for, given someone is staying for X number of days with the following interests. That sent, then I need to learn how to send that over to the OpenAI API and uh, then return the results and then show the results. Uh, and then um, then once I've learned how to do that, it was, even you know, it's off to the races. And you quickly, when you start experimenting with these things, learn the best ways and, and the, the difficulties that, uh, around those as well. So I found things like, um, even just by swapping out the location, the the data coming back would be in different formats. So I would have to be uh, explicit. So actually, could you return it in JSON format, please, in in, in this sort of way? And um, I think I went through about four major iterations on this, again, just side project in my own time, going from a a very simple front end, it doesn't have to be pretty, um, just has to get it working. And then I started bringing in more uh, concept so I brought in a map and then I decided well, I'll also retrieve the latitude and longitude coordinates of all the activities and then I could plot them on a map and then I thought well wouldn't it be great if I had an image for each of these uh, locations you know um, so you know if you could, say you're going to visit Rome wouldn't it be great to have images of the Colosseum and the Vatican and, and, and stuff like that so then I called off another when I called off uh, go, went to call another API again not Uh, Open AI, but it was I think it was the unsplash API and then retrieve those and put them on the page and um, So yeah, it's and then you get to the point where you've got something that's a generative AI proof of concept something that with with not too much more effort you could not I wouldn't say take to market but would be useful for an end user and um, gives you an idea of how to create generative AI solution so yeah, that's that's just kind of just one example of, of of me messing around in my own time, but again, going back to sharing. So then, I've got that knowledge. I found out how to do it. It's easier than I thought. Now I need to share that. So I maybe record a video and post the video. Make sure that I post internally to the business because we're trying to build up our own generative of AI offering as well. And say, look, you know, this I've done this experiment. Is this useful to anyone? And it turns out, you know, it, it was useful. And um, one thing I did was was caching the responses. So we, you don't have to, um, if you're using the same requests, for me, there's no point in sending the same request off to OpenAI. I, I just don't see the point. So I was caching the responses for the same sort of questions uh, and someone else inside the business said, well, that's a really good idea. We, we didn't really think about that. Um, so it's, the more you share, the more you can, you you learn that you're actually helping people. <laughs> so uh, yeah, sharing is caring. So you do, do, do share what you learn as well.
0: Cool.
2: um keep keeping on the uh, the topic of, of, of sharing knowledge um you, you've also written a book uh dotnet developers uh, guide to augmented reality uh what was it like writing a book and have you got plans for any more
1: So so it was it's interesting just to think about where the, the idea for the book came from um I, and I I'll tell you it I I'll tell you how I stumbled into augmented reality. And that's why I I read the book. I wanted to learn how to write apps for for my mobile phone and iPhone, just normal, bog-standard apps, you know, user interfaces. So I started looking into it and I found Xamarin, which allowed you to write C Sharp and then deploy that onto Android and iPhone devices. And then I found that Xamarin had wrote wrappers around popular frameworks for Apple, things like uh, Vision and Core ML. These These are frameworks that Apple... Allow you to do things in Apple uh, on their device, uh, but they'd also Xamarin. Uh, had would also written a, a wrapper or uh, a library um, called for Apple's augmented reality format called ARKit. And then I found out when I looked into it that iPhones that I'd said there's two or three billion active iPhone devices uh, or iOS devices, sorry, have got a very very sophisticated augmented reality. Capabilities on them that I don't think most people realize, and then I started playing around with writing C sharp code to take advantage of some of those those features, augmented reality features on the phone, and it it ranges from being able to detect a two D plane on the on the floor or the surface, detect faces, like I said, detect bodies, put three D models into a uh, a three D space and have it maintain its position. Um, trying to think of some other of functionality, there's all sorts it can do really, and what I found was that there was quite a lot of code samples of how to do this in Swift, in in uh, Objective C, uh, which is what your Apple developers would write to target their iPhones. There wasn't that much in the way of C Sharp that calls the um, Xamarin iOS uh, to 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 get the augmented reality features happening on the phone. So what I did was I started creating recording loads of code samples and videos of how to do basic things. If you're a C-Sharp developer, to target AI kit on your phone. Um, and I developed, I, I had about maybe 30 or 40 of these little code samples and, and scenarios. And then it dawned upon me that I could actually put a book together. So I, I kind of, put the structure of some chapters and said, right, I'd need an introduction chapter. I need a chapter of how to get the, the prerequisite tooling installed on, on your laptop and device and what you would need to get going. And then for each chapter, I would tackle a different different topic, like, like plane detection, like face detection, uh, like animation and, and, and lighting and stuff like that. And then I was was um, inspired by other net developers who, who had written books uh, so i approached them and said look thinking of writing a book how did you do it again sharing right it's, it's important uh, and they said oh if you go to the a press website a press is a popular pu- publisher for for technical books they've got a page of, of for book idea submissions uh, proposals just fill it out and just see what happens what's the worst that could happen um, so i did that i i took the advice on the page it was said give maybe a synopsis of what the book would be be about, who it's targeted at, and a brief outline of the chapters. Send that off, and then a few days later, I had an email from someone from A Press saying, really like your book idea, it seems kind of unique. And at that point, and it's this point still, AR is still kind of a growth area. You know, there's not that many people doing, but it's gonna get increasingly popular. Um, So they obviously wanted to take advantage of that. Um, So they, we chatted back and forth, and then we, we put a book proposal together that said, basically, you know, if you write as a book with this many pages, um, uh, deliver it by this date, and to try and deliver these chapters by this date. And um, yeah, so off, off to work, started started writing chapters on, on an evening uh, for, for the book. And fortunately, I had a lot of the content already at hand on, on this website. And the website was uh, xamarinarkit.com and its website is still there but all, a lot of the content for the book was i just kind of poured from what i had and, and, and put into the book and i also think that um, this is a good way to learn things and it sounds really simple to write a book about something you're not an expert about but what it forces you to do is to really look at the nook and crannies of the different parts of the framework really understand all the capabilities of what you're trying to um, tell other people about so uh, just one bit of advice is that you know if you one way of, of learning something is trying to teach it that's a really good way of learning something is is le- is trying to teach it because it forces you to be quite knowledgeable about it um uh, so yeah that's another bit of advice i have but yeah the the book uh, has been published um, i couldn't tell you how many copies it's 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 been sold uh, it's on amazon um it's it i it's so it's i've got a link to it on my website Com as well and there's a link from that website samraniacat.com do I have any plans for any other books? Um, I don't know. Uh, I, I think I probably got more than enough content for a second edition of the book um, based on what I, further experiments I've done. I could definitely add more content to a second edition. Um, not at this point. because so I'm doing a master's degree at the moment part time. So I really wanna concentrate on that and get get that out the way. And then um, if I do have other ideas for books, they're weirdly not technical books. They're um, uh kind of um still still non-fiction but trying to i've got some ideas for some other books so i probably will write another book in the future um but it probably wouldn't be like a, a, the same technical kind
3: Well, what do you do other than your masters what do you do in your spare time
1: yeah um uh, sometimes people say how how do i fit everything in between writing books and being microsoft mvp and uh, and, and doing side projects and, and, and this and that. Um, I think it is important to to fit in leisure time. Um, I, I, I hear from all sorts of people that burn out and, and focus too much on just being technical and, and coding all the time, but I think it is important to step away from, from the, the computer as much as, as we all love it. Um, so I, as well as spending time with my, my wife and my, my daughter and my son, um i do i do taekwondo which is the only exercise i get really and it's a good exercise i i come home dripping with sweat, sweat. i've been doing that for, for two maybe two and a bit years uh, i do that with my my seven-year-old son um it's something i really wanted to do when i was younger when i was his age and a bit older but i didn't have the confidence to do it um so i'm really enjoying sort of learning him and watching him get older and, and learn it as well and seeing how it's, it's improved his confidence and um he, he's he's beyond the path to become a black belt before he's he gets to high school so uh, if he if he carries on training so um so i do that i do i do taekwondo um what else do i do um i like being out in nature um as, as much as i like technology uh, i would spend a lot more time in nature if i could um, so yeah, I like being out in nature. And then I think recently I've I found I found metal detecting, which is really weird, <laughs> really weird thing to say. But I, I went on a uh, an organized dig um, last weekend, and I found it absolutely fascinating. I borrowed someone's device and they showed me how to use it, and it it really sort of suits my temperament because um, you put your headphones on the whole world is sort of blocked out. It's almost like you're in a meditative tr- trance. You're not thinking about anything else. You're surrounded by a beautiful countryside in the sun. You can, you know, the, the think about your typical English countryside surrounded by fields in the middle of a field focused on just um, moving the device back and forwards. So you get this tranquility and isolation mixed with these, um, these bits of, of adrenaline rushes when you hear this beep. <laughs> so then you frantically got to, um, carefully not frantically carefully dig a hole because you need to put it back as you found it see if it's a, a silver George the Third coin or something or if it's a piece of trash or whatever it is it's probably been there for a few years um, so what you're doing is, is you're finding history in, that's been there for years before you came along probably older than you that has been lost in in time so you basically treasure hunting um so I find that's really appealed to me. So I've just ordered my first device. So I hope to go out in the countryside and do some more metal detecting. Um and I find it really odd that it's such a juxtaposition from what I do on a day-to-day. I'm so interested in building the future, thinking about what the future is going to be like and, and helping shape it and what the technologies are going to be mean in our daily lives and to businesses. And then there's me finding this hobby where I'm looking back in time as to what's happened. I'm getting more interested in history and um, what happened a hundred years ago in, in in this part of the world and stuff like that. So I'm finding a, a little bit of a uh, identity, I'm having a bit of an identity crisis. So I'm, I've gone from futurely to sort of historyly, but then part of me thinks, well, why can't we mi- I mix them both together and apply these futuristic technologies to this historical pursuits so and now my mind's in all, all sorts of places. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's kind of what I like to do uh, in my spare time when I'm not um, experimenting with technology.
0: Great. I guess that's discovery, but of a different kind, isn't it? Great. And maybe you could maybe use some of the AR skills stuff to overlay what you're, you're, you're coming across in a dig
1: perhaps. But importantly, did you find anything? on my i only was doing it for an hour um borrowing this this chap's detector i did find had a couple of finds um nothing to sort of write home around about one was a huge bit of copper which was i got quite excited because it had like uh etched um lettering on it and i saw like an x and thought that's x that's like roman you know um So I I got it home and carefully unfolded it once I was convinced that actually wasn't anything that valuable and it said something like express dairy co Uh, and then a location so it would come from a a dairy farm off the back of a side of a truck or something so nothing you know only had a maybe from the 1960s or 70s and then I also found something that was really decorative piece of metal or brass which but I couldn't really identify what it was Uh, again nothing too valuable but what I was really impressed about with was what they did find. I was only there for an hour, but the people that have been there all day, they posted on Facebook the things they found and they found silver coins. I found this one person found a silver uh, monogrammed case, which is about the size of my hand, um, that just been under the air for years and years and years. Uh, solid silver, I think. Um, all sorts, know. Yeah, just otherwise would have just been lost, uh, lost in time. Um, so yeah, it's 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 fascinating. I hope to do more of it.
0: Incredible, yeah. It's, it certainly sounds a lot of fun. You mentioned previously about the master's degree uh, that that you're working on. Just now, could you tell us a bit more about that?
1: Sure. Uh, so one of the problems that I have is that I have too many ideas, um, and that might sound like a good thing. It's not when you have have the amount that I have when you you you're writing down ideas or you're working on ideas and you're having other ideas and you you get distracted by these new ideas and not finish your other ideas um so it can be as much of a curse as it does sound like a blessing uh and i think other people who who share um this this affliction with me will will understand what i'm saying um it's good you know if, if you're in an ideation session at work you know i'm pretty good at ideation i look at things from different angles other people um might not be able to, I uh, haven't thought of, but yeah, I, I had too many ideas and I had too many side projects. And um, I really wanted to find out, I really wanted to take some of them to market, I'll be honest with you, to see, because I think some of them had uh, technical feasibility, market viability, and, and uh, business viability as well. So a lot of the ideas I had, they, they could be turned into viable businesses and startups, um, just because the sheer number I had. Um, but I, I struggle to identify the ones that would be the best ones to sink my time into because I strongly feel—don't know if it's because I'm getting older—but I strongly feel that time is our most precious resource. Doesn't matter what it is: time with the kids, time at work, you know, time at home. Um, you know how long we have to have to live on this earth. So I started this course in, in entrepreneurship, management, and innovation because I wanted to build the skills. To help identify which of my ideas were actually viable opportunities, which as soon as possible, so that I could know that that was worth investing my time in and not these other ideas. Um, so that's very much one of the reasons that, that I took it. The other reason is that I find I was I was in an organisation Avenard, or still am sorry, um, where they where they're preaching that they want people to think of new ideas, who think innovatively. Think almost entrepreneurship in in an entrepreneurial way you know how could we take this idea and and build upon it and make it a value-add for our customers clients and partners Um, and that way just came a little bit natural to me but I wanted to develop the former methods of of doing this as well Um, so yeah that's that's one of the reasons I'm I'm doing the course it really is the ideal course for me because it's called uh, entrepreneurship management and innovation but I kind of subtitle it as, as making money from ideas or develop, develop, um, develop, delivering developing or delivering value from ideas because ideas are so so cheap and common. You know, everyone has ideas. Um, so, you know as an idea by itself is not very valuable. it's, it's how you um, develop that idea and bring it to life and put it in front of, of someone. That's, that's where the value is. It's about the execution. Um, so that's why that I kind of did the course to help me with that executing on an idea. Because I've got the tools to, to bring these to life. I've got all the skills I mentioned before. It's about where do I best invest that time? To, which ideas do I bring to life and which ones do, don't I bother with? So, yeah. About halfway through that course. So um, my final year project is actually to start a business or develop uh, deliver a strategy within an existing business. So um, looking forward to the final year project on that
2: and how are you finding the time commitment for for a master's um i i personally did a a bachelor's in my spare time kind of when i was younger just for fun um and it took up quite a lot of my time so i'm guessing the the master's is probably similar
1: yeah it's it is difficult fortunately um i'm doing it at the the university of bath it's it's an online part-time course so there is a schedule so we'll be doing for eight weeks, we're learning about entrepreneurial acceleration for this module. So every week we've got lesson, uh, uh, lessons to to go log in online and read and, and watch and videos to watch and uh, exercises to do. So in that way, it's, whilst you're doing a module, it, it's, as, it's as slow or fast paced as what you want, but then there'll be a couple of assignments at the end of that module or one halfway through. Um, but because it's all delivered online, uh it kind of suits me you know unfortunately i've never met my tutors and i've never met my my course um peers but uh it it does kind of suit this ability to just uh log online and just delve into uh a lesson for for this week um but it it, it is difficult but that just means probably that it's valuable and, and useful right so it's um I do look, look forward to a time where maybe I don't have to fill up so much of my free time. So I've kind of gone from writing the book, had a bit of a six month year long 18 month break and now I'm trying to invest in my time on this on an evening. Um, but I do see it as an investment of, of, of my time. You know, I'm um, Trying to also sort of bulletproof my career for the next 20 years. Um, and I think having a, a master's degree in entrepreneurship and innovation, that seems sounds pretty valuable to any business if you ask me
2: um so yeah nice um so uh, one final question from me kind of talking about ideas and things um i saw, I saw recently you came second in a hackathon uh, that was in manchester um what did you create and um you know kind of how did you find the, the hackathon as a as, a, as a, an event
1: sure um I, I do attend less hackathons these days but i, I do try to still attend as the ones that i can um this one was actually at the Etihad Stadium, which is the Manchester City's football stadium. Fantastic venue. It was one of the best venues I've ever been to. So I was I was intrigued by how they wanted to hold this, this hackathon at the the Etihad Stadium. Um, so bobbed along to that. And the 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 brief and the challenge that me and my team who we formed on the day we, we met up and, and and formed a team the, the challenge that we tackled was building a new version of a, a step tracking tool. So they had a version of a step tracking tool that just showed you uh, a mobile app that showed you how many steps you'd done. Uh, and they had this award program inside it as well. And the the remit was to make a better version of it. And so what I did was I I, I was the technical person on the team. Um, so I put my, my cards on the table and said, look, I can build another version of the app, but it's not gonna look that much different than any other step tracking app. And it's not gonna look very good because that's not really where my strengths lie in in app in mobile app development. But one of my strengths do lie is creating augmented reality experiences. So if you want, we could create a proof of concept of, of showing the step tracking data in a 3D space in augmented reality, and you could walk around it, Can have augmented reality charts, can pull in some, 3d terrain and overlay overlay the the path that you walked and they really like that that idea and and allow me to run with it so that's what i did i built a bit of a proof of concept and very much static data doesn't have to be complicated or or working just a proof of concept but it really showed how we might interact with data in the future once maybe we've got um uh, augmented reality glasses uh, are more prevalent and and come down as a lower price point uh, and yeah, we, we submitted that and, and we came second place overall in, in the hackathon. Uh, it captured the imagination of some of the judges. It really did stretch the brief and, and we did off the, you know, right up front say, we are stretching the brief up because, um, but one person, one of the judges, I think the main judge said they wanted to see people building the future. So we just ran with that and said, right, that's pretty much given us a green card to, to, to really run with augmented reality. And so yeah, it was it's uh, it was it was a fun one to do. Um, I, I enjoyed doing that.
3: Lee, quick question. Um, what tips have you got for people who want to do hackathons that haven't really done them before? Because people need to come prepared and stuff like that. So what sort of tips do you have for people who want to take part in their first hackathon?
1: Sure, yeah, it's it's a really good question. Um, I do actually <laughs> I as well as having too many side projects, I have too many side websites and, and buy too many domain names. So I did put, have put some information up at uh, a website called hackathontips.com, um, which I presume is still alive. So you, the person could go to hackathontips.com and and read up a bit about uh, what hackathon is and some tips about getting the most out of them. Um, but I would, finding the right one to suit you would be the first challenge and, and that shouldn't be too difficult. And I'd say, it would push out your comfort zone a little bit but that's not a bad thing the first time you go to a hackathon you're in a you know a room full of people strangers you've never met and if you're a bit of an introvert like like i was a few years ago it will be difficult um, um but you know it's 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 only doing that that you you will these things become more comfortable and you actually grow as a person and build that skill set and, and experience so don't worry too much if it's it's alien, and unfamiliar with you. It's, it's alien and, and unfamiliar for everyone at, at the start. So really push yourself out your comfort zone and do attend these things. The people there are a lot more friendlier than you think. Everyone wants to the same thing, to, to form a team and succeed. Now, early on, I, I probably attended a few hackathons by myself as well. Um, so there's no harm in attending hackathons where uh, if the minimum team requirement is one person. Um, I, I've I won hackathons or placed in hackathons by myself, and I've seen other single uh, participant hackathon teams win the whole thing as well. So there is that. Usually the teams are formed between one and four people anyway. Uh, and sometimes if you're in a team by yourself, you, you you don't have to run ideas past everyone. You don't have to throw ideas out to the floor and get feedback on them. There is there is a an argument for keeping the teams as small as possible, one or two people. Um, I think is have an idea as to what you want to do before you turn up. So some I've been to some hackathons where uh, even though the challenges have been announced on the day, some are announced beforehand. They take two or three hours coming up with an idea of, of which one to tackle. You've lost a lot of time already. So really, if if the challenges are announced before before time. Um, Be clear as to what what you're going to do for that challenge. Now, most hackathons don't want you or allow you to write code beforehand, but you can take as many notes as you want. You can look up code samples that you might leverage on the day, frameworks that you could use on the day, data sources that you could use on the day. So try and be prepared as possible for the hackathon without actually coding, because that's a no-no, you're not allowed to do that. Um, And that will put you in good stead. Then my other piece of advice is to pay attention to the judging criteria or what the judge is looking for. It's very easy to get carried away and build what the thing that you really wanna build, but not have in in mind what the criteria is. So really make sure you're referring back to what the judge is looking for. Um, So yeah, that's, I think if you do those things, you're probably up to for, for, you'll do all right in hackathons. Um, a lot of the hackathons are virtual as well, so if if the idea of coming in into a physical place with other people, forming a team, um doesn't doesn't appeal to you, there is lots and lots and lots of of um, uh, online and virtual hackathons. So if you look at the Major League Hacking website, like like I said, they have like three hundred of them a year. A lot of them are aimed at students and graduates, but not all of them. Um, I'm organizing one in in November, which will going to be a really good one for anyone that would like to start the the first one, I would recommend. Uh, And that's part of the NASA Space Apps Challenge. So NASA run an international hackathon uh, at the beginning of October every year uh, for 48 hours over a weekend. But then people are encouraged to create regional uh, subversions of the hackathon. So I'm running the one for Manchester. So if you go to spaceappsmanchester.com, that's where I'll be putting information about that. That's going to be a virtual one. Um, I just think that if we if virtual hackathons allow greater participation. Um, so, yeah, that would be a good one to, to get involved with. Look at for the NASA Space Apps Challenge. Um, this happens in October. That's a really good one, too, to get involved with. And what NASA do is they put challenges forward along the lines of, how can you use this satellite data to help identify how biodiversity is being reduced in this area? Or um, how could you create a a game that would make space exploration more interesting for children? You know, they really do range in the challenges that NASA put forward at those things. So that would be a great one for people to try out.
0: That's great. And... um I've done a few game jams before and it's a similar experience. So that's great advice that, you know, as you say, they leave many people are in the same boat. Many people are attending for the first time. They're in the same situation and just want to have fun and make the most of it, too. And, you know, there's people I've met in game jams before that I'm still in touch with today. And I was a game developer years ago. And, you know, you never know what's going to come of these events. So you mentioned the event there in, in November, the NASA Space Apps Challenge. Are there any other hackathons or other events you've got lined up?
1: I think that one, is it October? That one, that one is in October. Sorry, I think I said November. I think it's actually in October. I beg your pardon. If, you, if people go to the website, they'll see. Um, other ones got lined up. Um, we, I've just finished helping out with a, a an internally ran one, but for, it was for students and, and, and graduates. Um, that was, a, I helped host that one. So that was that was a lot of fun um and then what other ones we've got i think we, we also did one in march for international women's day um we had some great uh people and projects for that one running to hope, running hoping to run that again next march as well that one's a bit of a, of a long way out uh i don't i don't think have any other hackathons planned um but i, mean, I like to keep my ear to the ground and, and see see which ones spring up um they do often spring up i if i'm running hackathon i try and give people like three or four months notice that it's happening so that way they can they can block out the time to attend it, um if they want but sometimes people pop them up with weeks notice and i think the, the participation sometimes suffer because of it but yeah i'll keep my eyes to the ground and see if i can find some more ones to to um to attend oh the the generative ai tours one that i did uh, i might submit that to a, a hackathon called the worldwide ai hackathon which is running at the moment just because i started it uh, and finished it during the duration of of that hackathon um i think it's a like a 6 month long run, running one um so I'll, I'll probably submit that to that one and, and see how it places it's a bit of an interesting hackathon that one because they were they're asking for startups to submit their projects and it doesn't really sit well with me for me a hackathon it means you have to you can only submit what was built during that time whereas this hackathon is saying well if you've got a startup or you've got a product or service just submit it to the hackathon it seems a bit unusual to me but um all the hackathons are different and all the all got different roles and regulations um so that's just how they want to run that one i suppose Perfect. And
0: I think there's a good place to wrap things up. So Lee, thank you very, very much for joining us. That was really interesting. It's been a pleasure having you on. Um, where can people follow you online?
1: Sure. I've got pretty unique names. If you type in Lee Englestone, uh, there's there's only two of us. There's me and then there's another guy who does uh, dangerous r- rally driving. That's not me. I don't do anything dangerous like that. So uh, if you go to LeeEnglestone.com, I'm on there. I'm at Lee Englestone on uh, Twitter and and YouTube. I've I've got all the handles as as, as my name. So, yeah, Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, YouTube uh, and the website uh, com.
0: Perfect. So I'm sure the right account, the wrong account, you're going to find some fun stuff, but try and find the right Lee for this. Yeah. So just to wrap things up, say thank you very much to everyone for joining us at On Air in the Cloud and to hear episodes when they're released, subscribe wherever you heard this episode. Bye for now.